0: back to behind the splinters a limited series interview podcast about the making of sci-fi's 12 monkeys this is beep in just a moment you'll hear cc and i speaking with showrunner terry Metalis and stunt performers jeff Scavell and jennifer murray about the action sequences and stunt work on 12 monkeys so welcome back to uh co-creator and showrunner terry Metalis. hello thank you so much for being here with us today thank you All right. And then welcome to Jeff Scavell. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And also Jen Murray. Hey, everyone. Hi. And if you don't know these two names, first of all, you will. And second of all, you should. These are our stunt performers that did backup for Cole and Cassie. So tell us, how did you guys actually start working as stunt performers?
1: So everyone has their own story, how they got into stunts. There's not one way to do it. I went to school for acting at Humber College, and they had um, stage combat classes as part of, part of the curriculum. And uh, I trained, as did Jeff, with a company called ADC while in school uh, and went through all of their courses uh, and kept training with them. And after a few years of Uh, training and lessons, I got my first job and that was how I got into stunts.
2: My story is not too dissimilar. I started as an actor. I was doing, believe it or not, musical theater back in the 90s when I was a teenager. Uh, I went to university at uh, the University of Ryerson for uh, theater performance acting. While I was there, I met a stage combat instructor who took me under his wing. He introduced me to a stunt coordinator uh, who then mentored me uh going forward and I my, my courage just kind of blossomed and I fell into it from there so to speak.
3: And I was trained under Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, <laughs> and recruited by the CIA for covert ops uh, <laughs> overseas. I can't talk too much about that, but <laughs>
2: you, you guys Wait, should see what? Terry do the splits. It's impressive. <laughs>
0: So, how did you guys get from stunt performer? How did you come to work on Twelve Monkeys? So, uh, the stunt coordinator—that's uh, our boss
2: on Twelve Monkeys—was a guy by the, is a guy by the name of Brian Jagurski. Uh, Brian was the stunt coordinator on a television show called Nikita, where Aaron was working. Um, he was playing Berkoff, and um, uh, there were, they had a different double for that guy. Uh, on on that show, but there was a number of doubles that were promoting me on that. They kept telling Brian, Je- "You got to hire Jeff. He looks just like Aaron. You got to bring him in." And I, I would, I had a few days on that show as a random bad guy, like gunman number no. four or whatever. And uh, in fact, there's one scene where Aaron shoots me in the back, I think. Um, and then when Twelve Monkeys started, Brian reached out to me and said, "Hey, I'd love to bring you in on this. Uh, would you be interested in doubling Aaron for the show?" And of course, I said yes. I was very excited to do so.
1: And for me. I It was a long time ago. I don't think at this point in my career, I had ever worked for Brian. So I don't know if he knew who I was. I think actually, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you, when he was like, I need to get a double for Amanda, you, I think, suggested trying me out. So if it was you, thank yeah. you, Jeff. <laughs> it, it was me. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. We were like, oh, who can I get?
2: And I said, oh, you gotta yeah. get Jenny. She's amazing.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. I was and that's how I it a lot of this industry is word of mouth. So, that's how I first got to know Brian was through Jeff.
0: Is it common once you start in stunts to kind of follow a certain set of actors?
1: It can be uh it it does happen. Um I would say like f- Yes, it does happen, but it's not super common. Like I don't tend to double the same people repeatedly unless they're constantly filming in Toronto, but it it does happen for sure.
2: It's a bit more common for for the actors like, you know, the Chris Hemsworths of the world where they know Mm -hmm. that they've got a long running series like Avengers where they they absolutely require a a, a regular stunt double. Mm -hmm. Um, If Aaron was ever to work on a show anywhere in the world and he would request me, then I would go into a conversation with that stunt coordinator and would try and make it happen. Um, but, but to Jenny's point, working in Canada, it's a little bit different than working in the States. And so as a result, we, we tend to work with the same actors when they generally come into Toronto. So oftentimes, uh, like, uh, the actor Patrick Garrow, for example, who played Cole's dad on the show, I've doubled him a number of times on different shows, uh, because he's a local Toronto guy.
4: We would love to hear I, one of the things just as, as lay people that it. Seems like a really interesting part of the process is you all are obviously have your expertise and sort of the physicality of fighting, but when you are consistently doubling for a character, so in this case, Cole or Cassie, there's there's the character to think about, there's how the actor, you know, the actual person <laughs> moves to think about and also sort of the character journey, like for example, in particular, you know, when we when we meet up again with Cassie in season 2, her sort of new physicality is is like a big part of her character arc. So, we'd love to hear just sort of big picture how you all approach getting into character, thinking about the fictional character you're playing, and then, and then also the real-life actor who you're doubling for.
2: For me, um, the the very, very first thing that I take into consideration is the size of the actor. So whether or not that would require me to change my diet or change the way I work out. So when I'm training and when I'm working out in the gym, I'm taking into consideration the guy that I'm currently doubling. Maybe he's got a broader chest, maybe he's got bigger arms, something like that. Maybe he's a little bit smaller than me, so my diet will change accordingly. The next step that I do is I will try to watch everything that that actor has done or at least featured in. So I can get a sense of how they move and their their, their, their ticks and their quirks. And then when I get to set, um, a huge part of it is just staying on the monitor and paying attention and watching. I never know sometimes when I'm going to get brought in and, and step in. So it's always useful to me to watch and see how the actor approaches the scene, where they stand in relationship to the other actors, whether their weight's on their left foot or their right foot, and that kind of helps give me an indicator about where I need to step in and what I need to do in, in that regard. But also, I'm watching how the actor moves. So in Aaron's case, he's got a very specific movement, and I try to emulate that as best I can. Then the next layer is looking at the character. So looking at Cole, how does Cole fight? We develop that style in rehearsal and we develop that uh, early on, but making sure that we apply that character to the way we move in a way that also makes Aaron look good,
1: but makes Cole look good as well. Jan, how about you? Yeah, I mean, really similar to what Jeff said, uh, watching your actor move is the most important thing and the thing I try to do the most. and sometimes, depending on the type of character you're playing, like if you're playing someone who's not a fighter, some it's just you know a regular person getting into a fight. I very much make my performance similar to the actor because I'm going to fight how they're going to fight. But when you deal with characters like um, like uh, you know Hannah, who Brooke played, or or when Amanda starts getting into a more strategic fight style. You want to to move like them, but the process is also making sure that you teach the actors to move like they are ninjas and like they have had this training. So sometimes I very much cater towards how my actor moves. And then when it's necessary, you try to train the actors to move in a certain way so that the story is viable, that they've done all this training. And I mean, the cast on this show was incredible. They worked so hard and they looked great all the time. So we would love to, and, and we'll start, Terry, if we could start with
4: you, we would love to walk our listeners through. You're in the writer's room. You're like, we're going to have a big action sequence. You, I, I don't know if you write like two lines in a script. I'm sure it depends sort of on the scene. Um, but if we could start with you, Terry, both as a writer, you can talk to us both as a writer and a director on the show. If you could take us from that initial idea that these characters are going to be involved in an action sequence. And then what happens next?
3: Mm, Okay. Um, Well, this show always felt like it needed bursts of action that made sense. Um, And I think probably um, the thing that works against stunts is time and money. Um, So, Uh, you know, in the script we could say, you know, it's a giant action sequence with Colin Cassie fighting tandem and blah 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 blah. Uh, And then, um, you know, you 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 put that script out, and um, and then the bean counters come and say, okay, well, we have seven days to shoot this. If you do this action sequence, it's the entire day, which means. You can't really, you can't do it. So um, what, so what's the, the, and sometimes you say, no, this has to be, this has to be gigantic. I would say in the case of the, the season opener of, um, of the last season, the giant, you know, John Wick fight in the time machine room, we were just like, we're doing it. That's, that's what we're doing. it, And, and, at that point, we had such a well-oiled machine um, with everyone that we could actually, as elaborate as that fight was, we were able to blaze through it pretty fast, considerably. Considering, um, but 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 that's the that's the hatchet that's often thrown at these sequences. Um, so Brian, you know who I knew from Nikita, uh, will come in and they they do a they, they do a great thing for you, which is uh, pre this which is they, um, Brian will get together. And, and by the way, Jeff, Gent, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on all, any other stuff, because this is your expertise, but they'll get together and they'll choreograph an amazing thing and they'll shoot it, which is great for a director or a producer. So you can kind of see how that action scene is going to play out. Um, you know, with just like an iPhone and quickly cut together. <laughs> Sometimes they add sound effects or speed it up or slow it down as, as it should be. Um, And then you look at that and you go, oh, that's really amazing. Or you're like, "Ah, I think that's a little too big of a move. You know, then you, you, you know, it's like what Jeff is saying. You have to say like, is Cole, could Cole really do a high kick (laughs) or, (laughs) you know, or is he more of just a street brawler, you know? And so you need more of that or, you know, it's, it's that. And then you, then you go and then they practice it. And, um, and then you bring in the actors who like, who also have to practice it and learn it from Jen and Jen, they work in tandem. And then you shoot it kind of both, you shoot it twice. Um, You shoot it with your actors, you know, usually tighter shots to see their faces. Um, And then you shoot it uh, with Jeff and Jen. Uh, And depending on how it cuts together, you know, we've had situations where it's like never cut to our actors. Um, you know, and then there's other things where just like, we, we need to see Amanda's space on this, at this moment, so we have to cut to her or whatever. So it it, it varies in shape and size, intensity, uh, choreography, uh, every single time. But uh, in, in, a, in a smaller show, it usually typically comes down to what do you have the time to do, you know? Um, that's why if you ever see one of these shows that have extended action sequences like they budgeted for that like that's a show that can you know make the time and spend the money to to do that right um where we didn't have the money but we did it anyway (laughs) so you know yeah in in the case of uh jeff and jen i mean we were super lucky because they're also just great actors you know very often i mean they're they're dropping into the scene and. Have to play the intensity of whether it's Cassie desperately trying to escape Titan, um, you know, and we see it behind the camera, you know. With, with it's, you know, it's a perform, it's Jen's performance, you know what I mean? And it could very well have been the performance of a lead actor in a show. And the same thing with Jeff. In fact, there's a whole cut somewhere. I don't know if you have it, Jeff. I, I don't. Uh, you know, Jeff played. Future asshole opposite Aaron, and then right. and then also played opposite um, regular right. He, I mean, he played both parts yeah. in in our Tatiana Maslany orphan black, uh, you know, <laughs> situation, and you know, and, and uh, these are great actors. You know, you wish that we you had more time uh, to, or you could write specifically to them if we had six or seven seasons. You know what I mean, and be like, bring them on as. Uh, as actors uh and i think that that's really important um because it comes through in physicality you can really see it you know um it's like jen said like you, you know jen and jeff i mean it wasn't just Cole and cassie that they did you know it was across the board across the series there are villains and and other little tiny characters that they've also would jump in and have like, like jeff's everywhere i don't even i mean just <laughs> practically the show <laughs> it, should, it should be like the ring of monkeys in Jeff's face
2: <laughs> that's, that's, that's very 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 kind of you Terry I, I, I did I play a number of the, the monkey guys There's a, I, I just finished listening to the podcast about the last episode that you guys were talking about and you mentioned how when Deacon shows back up again with the Han Solo moment and he's walking down and he executes some poor son of a bitch that's lying there begging for his life that happened to be me
3: <laughs> that was a hell of a night wasn't it jeff that was one oh, hell Lord. of a night
4: i feel like i'm going to be a lot less excited about that badass moment now knowing that that's you
2: <laughs> no no you think it's even better because i love that and 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 just just to terry's point just circling back and just talking about the creation of it um terry brings up a great point about um, the challenge with stunts and I mean, our, our first AD MJ, anytime he saw me walk on set, he'd roll his eyes and go, Oh no, because the, the reality is that when we start doing the stunts, the return on the stunts, what you see on the camera, what you see on the screen is, is not proportional to the amount of time that we spend. So using season four, episode one, the big John Wick fight is an example I think we banged that out in about four or five hours. If it was a feature film, yeah. you'd be looking at you know at least seven days to
3: shoot something yeah, like that. A week, and so exactly uh, a
2: week. Um, we I just finished working on uh, the television show C. We're doing season two from with Apple Television. They have so much money. We just shot this massive set piece, this giant battle and they're taking like 14 days to do it and we're all astounded that a television series is taking the kind of time that it is to shoot this thing properly. I shouldn't say properly but to shoot this thing in a way where they can get what they need to do. So one of the challenges we have when we're building the previs is that we have to be intelligent about how we build that action. Not only do we have to hit the story notes, we also have to make sure that we're honoring the style up until that point. But we can't make it to uh, what we call gaggy. So if you see a guy get picked up and dumped through a glass table, that's usually going to be in its own setup. So that takes time. You've got to light it. You've got to get the camera in the position. You pick the guy up. You dump him through the table. Maybe camera didn't look right. we got to do it again, bring in another table, clean up all the mess we just made. So you want to be intelligent about how you put those particular pieces in. So if you can get away with creating a spectacular action piece that still creates your story, but in a way that doesn't have too many individual gags, that's kind of the best way to shoot um, You know, a four-hour... When you've only got a four-hour window to get everything done, you've got to take that into consideration when we're building the fight. In fact, I, mean, I remember in that particular fight, uh, you know, we'd be building the choreography, and Brian and I would be fighting about what Cole should be doing and what, what Cassie should be doing. And then the, the next consideration is making sure that we know that Aaron and Amanda can step in. And those guys are so... Ad- um, adept at the fighting, they they both had a different approach. Aaron's got amazing physicality, a lot better than he lets on, and uh, and Amanda, with her dance background, was all about the details. So they would work incredibly hard to get the bits and pieces that they wanted to get in that fight. They all wanted to work hard, but it's always stacked against the actors. They they're expected to be fantastic at everything. They've got all this dialogue. They got to remember, they got to go to a wardrobe fitting. They got to go to a press thing. They got to go to the, you know, they got to go shoot eight pages tomorrow and they got to look fresh for it. They don't have the same kind of time that we do. So when Jenny and I come in and we build the fight with Brian and we learn the fight, that's all we have to do. We got to be really good at just that fight so that we can step in for Aaron or Amanda and take off some of that, uh, uh, load of work, you know?
1: Yeah. And the nice thing too, the later you get into the seasons, uh, you, we know how both of them move so we can try and cater the fight movements so that I know it's something Amanda's going to like to do um, and that Aaron's going to do. So we can try and help them in that way because we know how they move. And, and Aaron was
2: in- incredibly gracious too. Like there would
1: be times when We'd start shooting from behind.
2: Aaron and Aaron would go. Oh, just get Jeff to do it. I mean, we'll just we'll we'll make it look good. Like get him in, and 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 I can just step in, and we'll get it quicker. And we'll keep. I think that was just Aaron just didn't
3: want to do it.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Quite possibly. We would love to to get into. Sort of a few specific standout action sequences, at least to us as as audience members. And of course, if you all have, you know, other scenes that you want to highlight as well, jump in. I, I guess sort of the first fight as an audience member that I think of that made like a real emotional impact on me in season one is the knife fight between Cole and Ramsey in Shonen. Just because yeah. it's there's so much, you know, it's, it's two brothers um, and choreographing a fight between two people where there's so much emotion and, and they know each other. And I would love to hear about how you all went ar- about choreographing that. So
2: Brian, myself and the double for Ramsey in season one was Alex Armbruster, great stunt guy. And we all got together at the the club where we were shooting and we got a chance to kind of go through the beats knowing what they were going to be. And I know that there were a lot of breakaways in that. A breakaway is like a piece of glass furniture. It could be a glass. It could be a, a, you know, a sake uh, flute or flask, I guess. It could be a a decanter, whatever. Um, They they wanted a whole bunch of these breakaways that were going to be part of the fight. We also wanted it to be rooted in... Um, their history, which was not only are they brothers, so they should fight like brothers, but there's that that will to survive. They're they're scavengers. And one of the notes that we got very, very, very early on is that Cole is not Jason Bourne. And so the the mentality that we kind of approached it, the way that I described Cole's action when we started season one was that he was the kind of guy you could throw through a table, then he would get up, grab a broken table leg and beat you to death with it. And, Mm -hmm. that's very much what we did. We, we built this fight and they wanted to do it in a, in a one just me and Alex to start with. So we filmed this whole thing in one go. And I remember being absolutely shocked that we were going to do it because there were so many breakaway pieces. The fight starts with me going through a glass table and there was a big question mark, whether or not I'd even be able to get up after it. Um, The the, the second part of the action is uh, Ramsey grabs me. We start wrestling. I toss him on a different table. He knocks me down. We grab pieces of glass and smash them on each other. He grabs a decanter, smashes that on my head. It all ends up with me wrapping a rope around his neck and strangling him. And I remember we got to the end of it, and they called cut, and I was just astounded we were able to start from beginning to to the end without accidentally breaking anything that shouldn't be broken and without having to stop because there were some big hits throughout that fight. Then we stopped. We brought in the actors. I fought with... Uh, Kirk and uh, Alex fought with Aaron, and we got the bits and pieces that we needed to get with the intensity and the, you know, having all those great moments between these two guys fighting for their lives. Um, and, and and the one thing I do remember is this a, a moment near the end, right before Cole gets stabbed, where Cole kind of limps in and grabs Ramsey, and then Ramsey stabs him. That limp, that's actually me doing it. And the limp is real. Like my, <laughs> my oh. head was so swollen. I was so beat up oh, after that no. fight. I thought, oh, let The heck with it. Let's just go for it. And um yeah, I was really happy with how that one turned out. It was I thought the passion was there. I thought the the intensity was there. And it, it felt like two guys that had a big history were going at it. At least that's what it felt to me.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of the next big at least as an audience member where that in terms of physicality that makes you sit up is when we meet Cassie again in sort of the first two episodes of season two. And Terry, I'd love to uh, to start with you and sort of that i that idea that you all that obviously would have germinated in the in the writers' room, that when the audience is going to meet with Cassie again, part of her, Character development in, in the time that we haven't seen with her, she is now this physical presence and able to handle herself, you know, as a result of her time in the post apocalypse with Deacon. So I'd love to sort of start there and then how Jen, you all then sort of interpretate that in working with Amanda.
3: Yeah, well, I think this is what necessitated Jen coming on. Um, it was. You know it was always the plan for the show that by season two you knew what the, the end of season one she was going to spend time in the apocalypse and and with time travel you have this amazing uh unique thing where you can tell the story in a way where we can just cut to a year later um and see her because it's time travel uh and i was always really i always thought that was really cool that she starts the episode as, as the woman who doesn't want to stab the bad guard. And then you see her at the end and she's blowing three people away and and whatnot with a, with a gun. So we, um, so that was, you know, it's also a little scary too, because we started to trend into a more uh, for lack of a better word, like just action-y kind of territory. Uh, And there's a fine line, um, there's a fine line there, you, you know, you, you could turn what you hoped was your gritty time travel science fiction show into, you know, a cheese ball action thing. Uh, so, you know, then then it's just numerous conversations with um, everything from from Brian uh, to Amanda to Jen, even a wardrobe, you know, like, you know, that season two is the introduction of leather, but we didn't want to do leather you just saw the options and saw her fighting in anything but leather. And you're like, this is dumb. Just put her in a fucking leather jacket right now. (laughs) So like, it it, it just like, there's, there's a reason that aesthetic works because it just, the second Amanda puts on the biker jacket, she is something else, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was basic, you know, it was all about the evolution of that character. and Then, you know, as the series goes, we we tried to pull her back from that as she discovers more of her, like loses her humanity and then then gets some of it back. And then, you know, with Ethan and, and that storyline. So that was the the impetus of it all.
1: Yeah. What Terry said was pretty much how I felt about it. It was, you know, I was coming on season two. Everyone kind of had their place and stuff, but it was nice because Amanda was, um, discovering this new part of her character. So I got to kind of experience that with her. And like Terry said, I liked, you know, I liked how it was like, she'd had all this training, but she wasn't just all of a sudden, okay, great. Let's kick ass. You know, there, there was that progression of her being able to shoot the guns and do these things, but she, she didn't want to. Um, and as the episodes and the fight scenes get bigger and bigger, you see how she, you know, shoot here, shoot here, shoot here, doesn't think anything of it, and then has to find like the humanity in herself again. So I love that whole story arc for her. Um and just the fight style changes a little bit too. You know, she's she does stuff but she's hesitant and then it gets very aggressive um, you know, once once she starts getting later into the season two and season three. And uh yeah it was it was great to work with Amanda. Um you know I kind of just followed her and what she wanted to do character wise, it was just, it was so easy to fall into this team. Uh, everyone was really welcoming. And yeah, I'm very happy that, uh, Cassie got stuck in the apocalypse because then I got to join the team.
4: (laughs) 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 Uh, You know, (laughs) season, I mean, Terry, just to pick up on what you said, you know, season two is sort of this, it, it does feel like a turning point for the show in terms of, uh, all of these new groups showing a lot of physicality um, and in different ways. So, for example, you have the messengers, and they are physically—I mean, just different human beings than us, right? They're stronger. Um, and, and how do you enhanced, in, Yeah, yeah, in, in terms of how they fight. And then you have the daughters. How how that almost feel more feral, right? Like how do people who have learned sort of as you know, they're not quite scavengers, but they're living sort of in this total breakdown of civilization. So I'd love to hear about how the stunt department sort of choreographed these different groups, you know, different constituencies and how they physically, how does that manifest physically and and how they move their bodies when they're fighting?
2: One of the challenges, of course, is that you have to we, we have to live within the, the, the 12 monkeys universe. And so it, it can't ever kind of expand about beyond that, of course. Um, Brian and I would often talk about the, the kind of the style of fighting. So for example, this is a tiny, tiny detail, but I'll use Cole as an example. Um, one of the things that one of the, the pieces of choreography that I gave Cole, like when, whenever Cole would take a punch, he would block it in a certain way. He would raise his hand up. Like he was uh, answering the phone. So his elbow was sticking out in front of him. This is an aggressive defensive move. So when someone's throwing a punch, the elbow would hit the person in the arm and it would cause some pain. It's a very, very, very small detail, but it was, it was whenever you see Cole doing a fight, he's always doing that block. Mm-hmm. That that through line for his style speaks to that piece of choreography. So the idea that he's always on the aggression, even when he's getting beaten up conversely talking about the daughters and finding that, as you say, they're not scavengers, but there's a raw um, uh, animalistic style to them, especially with Brooke, Brooke kind of, I think, led the charge with that. um, When, especially when we started choreographing for them, uh, at the end of season two um, for the big battle at uh, at Titan, once we got a sense of that, it became very much about making sure we ran with that, that animalistic style, that very brutal style, which is different from the scavengers, which was, while brutal, was was more about the survival. Um, and then, of course, you're dealing with the, the monkeys as well, like the guys that populate Titan. They would walk around with, I think, when did we introduced the swords, the, the, the knives, they came in in season two, I think. And, yeah. uh, and, and that was a very specific style as well. And just the way that they can move as well. Those robes and those masks were quite challenging to fight with. But there was a, um, a dogged um, sort of cult-like personality with them. It was more about the Zerg. They were just about numbers. They just kept coming. Um, so, so making sure that we honored those, those styles within the action pieces and so that we could get the story right when we were showing our heroes either overcoming or, or addressing those challenges.
3: There's a funny story about it. Cause you know, you brought up the messengers and how they're genetically enhanced and strong. So, <laughs> so in season one, when we went to the Dominican Republic to, to shoot Haiti uh, the Haiti sequence, um, I, I did not go. Um, and there's a sequence in which Cole encounters um, Tom Noonan. You know, uh, Aaron, and, Ke- and he throws a punch, and Tom Noonan catches it. So that wasn't in the script. That wasn't that wasn't really scripted. I think maybe we went back and put it in the script uh, so the network wasn't surprised or anything like that. What happened was the day that they they were shooting it in the Dominican Republic while we were, you know, I think Toronto was either we went on a hiatus for shooting in Toronto or or whatever it was and we just caught up and we we're writing in LA and an editor called me and he's like, uh, there's something you need to see. <laughs> and they showed me the sequence. And I was like, well, what the hell is that? How, <laughs> how he just <laughs> caught the guy, this old man caught this guy's. So now we have like a situation. I was like, well, we can't reshoot it. If we could, if we had to reshoot it, we'd have to do it in Toronto. And it was just, it was a choice made by everybody on the day. Um, uh, and, so that became the thing. We're like, well, Tom Noonan is stronger than everybody, and so he oh, must wow. be genetically enhanced somehow. <laughs> that's so awesome. oh towards the end of this so we just started to talk about it um uh, and and so we knew that when at the end of the season, the babies we knew, we knew we were heading towards some kind of genetic enhancement of something uh and so that that's the that's the origin of that is somebody's choice on set for. Tom in to catch a punch.
4: <laughs> wow. Um, that's you amazing. Came. Yeah. It, it's also a moment where you're like, oh, crap. Like, what are we dealing with? You know, the fact that he can do that. So, oh, my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah. Um,
3: I, you know, you wish you would, like, if that was the story, you would have done it in a different way. Um, I, and I think because they were in the Dominican Republic and, and, and it was a thousand degrees there, with humidity and Tom Noonan is literally sweating through his three piece suit. You know, there's not a lot of time, you know, so you're shooting that and he's catching the punch and you're getting out of there. That's like, what you. plus how the equipment was stolen. That's a whole other story. Um, but, oh but yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy.
2: None of the doubles were down there either. I should point out, like, I think, yeah. I don't think Tom had a double
4: down there and Aaron certainly didn't. No,
3: no. So there you go. catching punches.
4: we would love to hear more sort of about that two part um the last two episodes of season two battle of titan and those action sequences because they just felt so you know for lack of a better word epic for the show um and definitely sort of that scale you know continues on for the rest of the series do you um do you all have sort of other production stories from that
2: oh yeah <laughs>
3: so, some of them can repeat. That... <laughs>
2: Jeff knows. Uh, Jeff, was, Jeff uh... knows. <laughs>
3: that, that was that's um, a nervous laugh you're hearing, epi- guys. <laughs> that was an epic.
2: That was an epic night. We um. So we we were shooting in Sarnia So we, I think it was the last night of season two as well, and so. We had a real time crunch from being able to, to to get everything, and we had stunt people for the big battle sequence when the daughters show up and our heroes um, show up to to save the day. And we shot all that I think on like a Thursday night or something. We sent everybody home, and then Friday we had to shoot the piece where Cole and Cassie go back into Titan looking for Ramsey and their friends. All hell breaks loose, and then our heroes get separated. That whole fight sequence. Now I had. Brian and I had chatted about it. We didn't have any time for rehearsal. We were shooting out the end of the show. We, we didn't have any time to, to get together. We had another uh, a couple of other stunts that we had to figure out like that fight with um, oh, I can't remember now, but we, we were real busy. So I went away to a training facility. I put together some ideas for how we could kind of get out of this situation and, and build this fight. And I brought them to Brian and, and I showed them I think I showed them to Aaron and, 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 uh, and Terry that night. And they were like, great. That's great. We'll do it. We're sitting at lunch. And the third AD comes over and goes, hey, guys, just so you know, we're running out of time. Um, Everyone's kind of nervous. We got to get this thing. Do you guys feel good? And Brian and I look at each other and we're like, yeah, yeah, feeling pretty good. And then I think like the first AD came over and was like, hey, uh, we we don't have a lot of time. Are you guys going to be okay to do this? And we're like, yeah, yeah, no, it's going to be fine. (laughs) And then I think Terry came over and was like, guys, there's no time. We have to do this. Can we do it? I'm like, yeah, I think we can. Um, the, the, the pressure was now on. And one of the challenges we had is that we were working with background people from Sarnia. Like these are not professional background people, like nothing goes to Sarnia. And so these guys were like being hired for the (laughs) night to just come out and we had to fold them into the fight as well. And they're, they're manhandling Amanda and Cassie and, and and I'm trying to negotiate all the, the other stunt people and show Aaron, the choreography in literally like five minutes. Um, I remember there were many pieces with it. At one point, Cole has to get kicked out, he draws the gun as he's flying through the air, shoots that monkey, lands outside, and and Cassie gets dragged off. Um, Putting those pieces together, and it was just rushing. I turned to the stunt guy that was kicking me out of there, and we weren't getting it, the angle wasn't right. I just turned to him, I said, I want you to kick me as hard as you fucking can. We gotta get this. Turn your body this way and just hoof me. And as soon as he kicked me, I went flying out, drew the gun, shot the guy and uh, and we got on with it and then i think the final piece was when titan splinters away and cold goes flying back from 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 the splinter and we we literally set that wire gag up um, i was wearing a harness they attach a wire to me and we didn't have anywhere to rig into so we literally put up a ladder Held it down with a bunch of really big guys grips, and then just pulled on it. And someone pulled on the rope for all their life, and I just went flying backwards. I didn't have a whole lot of say in it, but it was a real scramble that night. I was
3: really happy with yeah. how
2: it came together, but we were we were juggling many many things.
3: Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, <laughs> it was our last. It wasn't the last night of the season, but it was our last night in Sarnia, which meant like we would not be we'd be scrambling to figure out how to tell the sequence if we didn't do it right there. Um, yeah, there was a lot of pressure. I think those are all like, some of those are just one take things, you know, we never had backup of it. Yeah. Wow.
4: Well, yeah, I, I I feel stressed out just listening to that.
3: (laughs) And, And that's, that's only, that's only a little bit of it. It started to rain, um, which held us back. Um, in fact, you can see, in some of the sequences they're walking through and it's raining and then it stops raining. And we just was like, yeah, that's Titan. That's what happens. It has its own (laughs) ecosystem, you know? Um, And then there was just, you know, there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot like, you you know, um, stress was high. People were reacting to the stress and that, that slowed some things down. Uh, It was a, it was a hell of a thing.
4: Oh my gosh. Uh, (laughs) I wanted, (laughs) I wanted to turn next to Terry, the I think it's your first time. Three hundred one is your first time directing an episode of TV. Was that right?
3: It was, yeah.
4: Listeners know that we. It's a. We think it's a really beautiful episode of TV to look at. But just focusing on what we're talking about today, there's a lot of action sequences in that premiere. Uh um, uh, From and so I'd love to hear. It, it it seems like a lot of action sequences for the show. It's your first time directing. It, it they involve like every character. You've got Hannah having that amazing sort of training session with the daughters. You have Cassie trying to escape Titan. You have Cole and future asshole. There's a lot to break down with this episode.
3: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, there was so much uh, uh, for me. Uh, I had a lot of pressure that I put on myself for that episode because I I thought that the finale. Of of season two was really strong. And it asked a big question, which was, okay, the witness is their kid. What do you do now? And 301 had to be the beginning of a 20 episode movie. You know, there are things in 301 that don't pay off until the very last episode of the series. So you're thinking in that in in that range too. And you know, you wanted it, you wanted to promise it. A, an exciting time as well not this ponderous um uh uh you know philosophical issue about you know when you kill your child or not you know what i mean like there you wanted it, it, it needed to be like a movie and it was at the beginning of the season and you know i was greedy i'm like yeah we're just going to do these because <laughs> i was the director and i could i had this the say to 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 have that many action action sequence we also block shot it with um David Grossman was also shooting episodes two and three at the same time. So it was, it was just a huge undertaking. Um, so it was, it, it was really about that pressure, um, to just make it a really entertaining hour of television that made you want to keep going. Cause you could very easily have, have ended the show at, at the end of season two and never come back. So you need it. And plus we were introducing things like splinter suits and that just had to be really cool. That, 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 you know, that fight with Cole and in the snow and all, like you just had to be leaning in. Um, so the, it, the the story demanded it, I think. And it was just sort of, uh, you wanted it to feel like a
4: movie. Yeah. If, if I, we could, if we could start with fu- the, the fight between future asshole and Cole and Jeff, you are, you are, putting on screen quite literally what you have been doing behind the scenes, right? <laughs> you are another yeah. version of Cole. Um, so if we could first talk about that fight with the splinter suits and the snow um, and then maybe, and then move on to the uh, future asshole and Cole scene at the Emerson hotel.
2: For sure. Um, it's funny. I, I was listening to these podcasts um, and it got me excited about the show, and I, I've actually started my first watch just as a fan, just to sit back and watch it. And I was really struck by the amount of action we had in this episode. It's just kind of relentless. There's even a little fight with Cole and Hannah as well, when she calls him that little shit when she tries to splinter um, yeah. I, I, the, um, the the that particular fight, I remember we. And, and Terry, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I remember we were in the middle of the forest. We we're in Claresville in a conservation north of Toronto, and I think the spooling suit had just arrived, or it, it was we literally
3: fired. just finished. And first, that was the first time we lit it up. Was uh, yeah. was there?
2: Yeah, I was. I'm in the forest, and and Joyce is there, our costume designer, and they're they're, they're wrapping stuff up on me. They're taking stuff away, and. It's literally right until I'm standing there before we do that zoom in shot where, where he appears and, and turns on the splinter suit. And then we got to think about the fight. And it, that fight was kind of fun because it, as opposed to a scrambly kind of survival fight, it was a fight where Cole knew what was going to happen. At least the Cole that I was portraying, future Cole. He knew the choreography. He knew what the fight was going to be so we could make it just a little bit more slicker. The other side yeah. of that was there was no time for uh, Aaron and I to switch wardrobe. So whatever the fight was going to be on the Cole side, what Aaron was going to be doing had to be accessible by Aaron, which meant we were never going to be taking him to the ground hard. We, we, I couldn't hit him hard. I was going to have to protect him all the way through, make him look good, but also make future Cole look good. So there was a number of challenges um, up to and including the groin hit as well. Like we had this whole – elaborate thing brian had brought in a rig that was going to save me we we didn't have time to put it in so we just kind of went for it and i (laughs) i moved my hips forward and help hope for the best um (laughs) uh, and i think we we banged it out pretty quick um but aaron did an amazing job on that fight it was all him um future cole is all me aaron is all aaron or cole is all aaron uh, for that fight
0: And just, I'm not sure, I think Jeff, you've listened to most episodes. Jen, I'm not sure if you have, uh, but it is widely and universally accepted that splinter suits are the sexiest article of clothing ever designed.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's (laughs) true.
0: Um, That's true.
3: Not something I uh, had anticipated.
2: (laughs) No, No, I'll tell you a little something about those things. Like they are so cool and it was so fun to fight, but they're, they're really awkward. They have a giant battery pack that sits in the small of your back. Um and so anytime I was wearing one of those and had to like slam into the ground, I either had to find a new way to hit the ground where the battery pack wasn't going to jam into my hip bone or just try to move that battery and the thing would always ride up and jam us in the neck. And of course, every time I was wearing it and I had to hit the ground, I'd always get the note, "That thing is really expensive, Jeff. Don't break it." So, okay. <laughs>
4: Yeah, Terry, if you could, the scene between Cole and Future Asshole at the Emerson Hotel, there's mm-hmm. so many layers to it. As a director, having to ground both Aaron and Jeff in the different points of view and what different character you know, the same character knows at different points. I mean, it. I'd love to hear sort of how you approached that scene. Um, and then Jeff, obviously, also hear from you about it.
3: Well, uh, you know, A a lot of it was on Aaron's shoulders. You know, it was like, how do you differentiate the two Coles? You know, you have one Cole who's in the middle of the darkest depression of his life, and another Cole who's just been told, you know, leaping forward in the narrative, that this is it. He's going to be erased. This is his last run at everything. Um, And so he's weirdly like lighter and jokier. You know, to like trying to, you know, forcing himself to kind of enjoy what time he has left, even though it's god awful. Um, so it was getting into that mindset. And then it was, you, you know, so much of it was the choreography. It, it was camera has to click, you know, uh, Jeff has to step in front of Aaron at this exact moment, you know, so that we can then cut to uh, we can then orphan black, the footage. And we, we literally had the team from orphan black do that because they were just the, the world's leading experts on, uh, scenes with the, with the same actor, you know, and then it was Aaron and, um, and, and Jeff, you know, they were, they're working together on what it's really about. So much is, is about what Aaron needs in that moment, what he needs to hear, what he needs to react to in the same way that we did it with, uh, old Jennifer and Jennifer, you know, Emily needed, uh, th- there's, a, there's a whole combination of things she needs to react to. Um, so pro- I'm sure Jeff can probably talk some more about it. And as a, but as a director, it's, it's, it's really scary until you see the, the visual effects composition of it because you don't even know what you're looking at right now. The camera is moving and doing this. It looks pretty. Um, but you have this whole other actor playing Aaron, uh, Aaron, you know, and you're like, oh, I, I think this works. I hope this works. I don't know if we're g- I mean, are we really going to believe like do a visual effect in which he puts his hand on himself and we believe it. And, you know, so you're so much of it's a leap of faith that the visual effects is going to come through on. And they did. Uh, it was, it's pretty great. I still love that moment where, Cole puts his hand on his own shoulder. I mean, they couldn't do that in 1989 for back to the future too. That made it look realistic, you know, and, and yeah. here we are doing that.
2: Yeah. Um, so I, if I could, I just, just like to talk a little bit about how that job came about. I, they, somebody asked me if I wouldn't mind being the acting double for this scene. And, In my mind, I was like, yeah, sure, I'm going to hold the lines in front of me on a piece of paper. And what they do is they put the camera behind my shoulder and we do the scene and then we change clothes and we do it again. I was like, yeah, no big deal. I'm happy to do that for Aaron if he wants me there. And they said, yeah, you're just going to have to audition. Just go down to the studio. They're having a meeting. I said, great. I showed up there and they're talking Orphan Black. They're talking about the marks on the floor. They give me the script. It's like 12 pages. I'm like, what did I sign up for? Oh, my Lord, this is going to be hard. And I'll tell you, like it was one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my career. We, it, we spent the entire filming day doing just that scene. And it was, I think, something like 12 pages long. And it wasn't just knowing one side of those 12 pages, it was knowing both sides of it, me- memorizing the entire thing and being able to facilitate what Aaron needed for that scene. Um, I'd worked on Orphan Black*, so I was friends with uh, Catherine Alexandra, who was the acting double there. I reached out to her and talked to her about what that process would look like and how to best facilitate Aaron. And of course, I talked to Emily. I think Emily was even there on the day, um, you know, just talking about who drives the scene and, and how that work best works. And the first time we went through it, I I think I was, yeah, I think I was future Cole and, um, you know, I'd spoken at length with Aaron and we'd run the lines and we talked about the pacing and hitting these notes and making sure that we honored these specific moments so that he could play them when we got to the other side. And, And we we went through it and we finished and I was like, oh, I felt really good about it. We were definitely in the scene. We were connected as actors and it felt great. And then we switched sides. We got to switch clothing and all the rest of it. And then the challenge happened where they give us these earpieces and we have to absolutely match what we did on the other side. I think there were something like, 20 marks or 29 marks on the ground for us to hit at certain points in time. So we're doing this dance around and I'm, I'm comfortable with that because I'm, I'm watching Aaron while we're doing the other side of it. So I know where I've got to be, when I've got to be there and where the camera is in relationship to where we've got to be. So I feel comfortable with the physicality, but making sure I hit those acting beats was a little bit foreign to me in terms of what was required for that scene. And I remember there's one moment where we're sitting next to each other and Aaron, we've done the, we're doing the other side now, and Aaron is doing the monologue and he's talking about how uh, all we'll have is what's in between, which was beautiful. Um, and it's this long monologue and Aaron's locked eyes with me and it's emotional. And then in our earpiece, we hear put hand on shoulder and... You can't see it, but there's a, very, there's a very small moment between Aaron and I where we were like, oh God, it's just, it bumps you. And so you've got to kind of get used to these um, cues that you're getting through these earpieces to make sure it matches what we did on the other side. Um, and I remember when we did we did the one side and I was very comfortable with it. It felt great. We switched sides and I thought to myself, I thought, oh yeah, Jeff, you know, you did pretty good, you know, you, you were acting and you felt it and it was great. And then Aaron started doing the bit that I'd just been doing, and I realized I am a terrible actor. Oh, my God, Aaron Stanford is incredible. What an amazing performance. He came out of the gate like 10 out of 10, and it was just—it an exercise in an acting class. Like It was just incredible to kind of watch him work. And uh, it, it was not only was that one of the hardest things I've ever done, Um, it was also one of the greatest privileges to be a part of. I mean, it's interesting because my work is never going to be seen on that camera. But at the same time, like it was so much investment to be there on the day and to be connected and to work with Terry and get the direction and make sure that Aaron was getting what he was needed. So not only was I looking for feedback from Terry, but I'm absolutely looking for feedback from Aaron. And then on top of that, we've got the technical feedback. Make sure, you know, you're a step behind at this point or make sure that when, when you pass Aaron at this point, you've got to be looking in this direction. Um, So there were many, many, many moving pieces to that. And, And to Terry's point, it was one of those things where you don't get a sense of what the final product is going to look like. So you're just kind of hoping that what you're doing is going to work. And that's the best product that you can put forward.
4: Yeah. Well, it's an incredible scene. Jen, your challenge for this episode is you are a stunt double for a character who is trying desperately to escape a cult while heavily pregnant in a long flowing dress.
1: <laughs> yes.
3: but, but also Jen, you she was also Hannah in that episode, weren't you?
1: Yeah, Were yeah. Were you I, both? I up yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Oh, and, wow. and including the big, the
1: big um daughter fight, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, this was a, um, a heavy episode for sure for action for me. Oh, wow. All
4: right. Well, let's, let's start
1: with that amazing sort of training sequence with Hannah. Sure. Yeah. I think that was the first time I doubled Brooke doing an actual fight scene. Like that was my, that's my recollection of her doing a big fight scene. Um, and it was with another stunt performer, Kara Wooten. Um, and uh yeah that was that was a fun one her fight style is so different from Cassie's you know it's much more animalistic and ferocious and you know her moves just so driven by rage um yeah, it was a fun one to do i remember at the very end uh i kind of hit her one last time and then i remember kind of looking up and the camera was right in my face and i instantly i'm like crap you know we're everything we do in a fight is, you know, don't show your face. And so I kind of like put my head down as though I'm like really tired and breathing. And then I think, well, I can't just sit here. It's kind of weird. So I kind of stand up again. And I think they'll never be able to use any of this. My face is just looking at them and I see the final cut and, you know, obviously I should have known Terry and everyone knows what they're doing because I'm super backlit. So they actually ended up using the shot. So it was an interesting learning experience for me because I thought, oh man, I'm messing this entire shot up shot up and they could use all of it because it was super cool. Like the lighting was really neat and you couldn't see it was me. And uh yeah, that was a fun one to do for sure. Yeah, the drop was um that was a that was a good one. I think that was an 80 foot fall. It was a pretty high one. Uh and it was in the hern. Um no. yeah, that would that was a big deal. Uh, it was we kind of shot it in two parts. We shot it there's the one shot where I'm standing on the ledge and you see Rayleigh fall back and maybe fall about 10 feet and the wire catches me. And then we repoed where I'm already suspended in the air 80 feet up. And that was the really big long drop. Um, and I slowed down right at the end. So that, that was, I remember that was a big deal. A lot of big ups were there that day watching.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was, you know, and it's also it was my first time directing, right? So it's like right.
1: right.
3: You you have a lot of meetings. Where you're like, I like these people, so let's not kill them. If, <laughs> if there's even a chance that this is going to go wrong, let's not do this. Let's just green screen, you know. And then we did it twice. We did it with Amanda too, and, and Amanda actually like messed up her neck or something from from when she when 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 it came time to do it with green screen for her. You know, it's mm. just like, the, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, these things happen and we should talk about injuries too, before we go. Um, because there's, there are a couple of moments that still chill me to this day about the show.
1: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately it's uh, the nature of the game. We had a really great rigging team for this. Um, and, uh, you know, they had dialed in the math and everything perfectly that, um, the days that I wrote it were pretty good, but you know, the, when you're rehearsing the stuff that people don't see, that's usually when you get a lot of the bumps. Um, but you know, we we fix it so everything's hopefully smooth on the day. But yeah, I mean, it's the reality of the game. You know, things can always go wrong. That's you know, that's why you have stunned people there. But uh, yeah, I, it, this one this one went great. The ride was pretty smooth. Um, the hardest part was actually not even the not even the actual. Long fall. It was standing on the ledge, falling back because um, you can't feel the tension of the wires when you're up there. So even though you're not free falling, you feel like you're free falling. And it's very odd to be standing up 80 feet and just put your arms out, you know, like Jesus and just fall back and really trust that something's going to catch you. That's it's a hard one to trick your brain to do it. So that one was freakier than I thought it would be for sure. So I'm just,
4: so you actually fell 80 feet backwards onto like you. you have a wire rig and then there's a mat below. I mean, just no, for lay people,
1: yeah. no. Yeah. That's not, um, yeah, that's a bit too high to fall onto a mat. So what they have is I'm on what's called a descender. So I'm, I'm in the rig 80 feet up and I'm, you know, quote unquote free falling, but the wire is falling at the same rate I'm falling. And they time out, they put like all the math into a, the computer that's slowing me down so that the computer knows when to start slowing me down so that um, it slows me down as quick as possible so that they can get the mo- most amount of time of fast falling. But it's not, they have to time it so that it's not suddenly jarring you to a stop because you wouldn't survive it. So that you know, I have maybe like, I don't know, it was pretty quick. It was maybe four seconds of the time it slowed me down to an actual stop. So I'm I'm stopping suspended right above the floor, if that makes sense. Got
4: it. Wow. We're just having a moment appreciating what you all do um and putting your bodies on the line for what we watch. Um it's yeah. <laughs> It's incredible. <laughs> um, there's some other, and, and I know that we're sort of getting short on time and there's just some other incredible sequences that we want to be sure that we asked about. Um, the f- Later on in season three, one of sort of the most mind bendy, but kind of thrilling fights to watch um, is at the beginning. I believe it's masks when Cassie and Cole are fighting Hannah and Deacon on the train with the splinter suits Mm. Um, and we'd love Mm. to hear I mean that there's just a lot to choreograph and how do you fight when you're jumping back, you know, forward in time. Um, and we'd love to hear sort of how you all choreographed it. And, and there's a great, Jeff, you posted if fans are on the, the Facebook monkeys page, um, like a, it, it seemed like a the video sort of where you first choreographed that. Um, but we'd love to hear sort of about how you all approached putting that scene together. So that one was kind of fun. We, the, it, it was interesting to,
2: the, the the creation of the stunts on the show, I mean, it's very much Brian leads it, but it becomes more collaborative uh, as as time went on. And the, the train fight was shot in Prague, and the, I was the only member of the stunt team from Toronto that went went over. Uh, so I worked with the Prague stunt team, who i never met before. And we, we came down, and I worked with Merrick, who was the stunt coordinator in Prague and we had two fights to build. We had Cassie versus Hannah in one of the train cars, and then we had the time travel fight with Deacon and Cole. So I had some ideas, and I came in with, with some choreography, and uh, Merrick said, yep, he left me to, to build that one with Derek, with, um, uh, with Deacon, the Deacon double, and uh, he went off to build the, the Cassie and, and Hannah fight. So the hardest part about that one was kind of wrapping my head around the time, time travel in a short period of time and how that would affect the fight. So it's, I built it like a, it's like two fights in one. It's Deacon beating up Cole and then Cole going back in time and beating up Deacon at the same time. The, so the challenge there was how do we get that in, in, in so that we can shoot it in a short amount of time, shoot it on the train, which is already limited in terms of the geography about where we can put the camera, and how do we utilize our doubles as well as our actors? Um, And I think we did have a rehearsal day. We brought all the actors in. In fact, at the very end of it, where Cole grabs a suitcase and smashes Deacon in the face, that was actually Aaron's idea when we were working the rehearsal. Um, We changed the ending just slightly for him. But that one was a bit of a a mind bender. But it was a lot of fun to build and and to try and create the the idea about the, the, the time travel within the combat. I think in... At one point, and Terry, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we were talking at some point about having a fight sequence where there were going to be multiple coals from different timelines showing up and fighting in tandem. But I don't think it was even possible or I don't think it materialized.
3: Yeah, I had we, we talked about it. And then, you know, the producers were like, we can't afford that. and like, All right, it's fine. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but having
2: heard those conversations sort of happening in the background, I had some ideas about how that would work. And so I kind of took some of those ideas and put them in the uh, in the fight and train.
3: Season five. Season five, my friend. We'll, we'll get it in there. <laughs> <laughs> <Can't>, cannot wait.
2: <laughs> wait.
3: I really do want to talk about um, the danger. Yeah. Of, because uh, I, I think what... It's something. It doesn't even really occur to you. It's not that it doesn't occur to you because there's always the danger. But you're, but because uh, stunts are so professional, normally everything works out. There maybe there's a little bit of a bruise or a whatnot. But when something goes wrong, it is a take your breath away um, moment of reality that you're like, why are we even doing this? And for there's one. The only time that I I was like, oh God, what did we just do? Was Jeff? Do you remember when you got kicked in the chest in um, the um, yeah. the auction episode, yeah. and you went through that? Yeah. That 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 was uh, that took the guy kicked too high by accident, I believe. Jeff, you can jump in and tell me I'm all wrong about this, but and it took all the air out of Jeff, and he was down for the count for a good. Um, I mean a good few minutes and one of the things, and then this is just m- my experience with most stunt players is they're so quick to be like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Don't worry. I'm okay. Let's move on. But um, I don't know if that comes from some sort of professional uh, internal code of ethics that they have or whatever, but like, but no, they're not okay. <laughs> like, It's okay to shut down for an hour. And make yeah. sure that these human beings are all right. Um, and that was that. I just remember that. Anyway, I just wanted to jump in and gotcha. say that
1: we all do that. that. We all do that thing where you're like, they're like, "Can you go again?" You're like, "Oh yeah, no problem. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go." And it, I, you know, we I we both do it, eh, Jeff? And I I don't know if it's you know yeah, it's hard when you have an entire crew of people waiting on you if you know you didn't get the shot. It's a little heartbreaking to be that person who's like, sorry, guys, I'm done. Because now now production can't get the shot that they paid for. So usually we yeah. try to power through as much as we can. I mean, if you physically can't do it, I, I mean, I guess you're not doing it. But yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, I've definitely I, I, gone again when I should not go again.
3: Yeah, but don't. Don't do it. I know. From it's here really on,
4: bad.
3: From here on <laughs> here through, right. you are authorized to not do that ever again. <laughs>
2: Thanks, Terry. <laughs> but there's, there's, there's also a reality in that I I don't know a single working professional stunt performer that isn't dealing with some kind of injury at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'll tell you right now, I guarantee Terry. I guarantee you, Terry doesn't know this, but I started the show with a fractured elbow. We were rehearsing um, a scab fight. It was the one where Cole and Ramsey are looking for the documents for um, Jennifer in the uh, in the abandoned hospital and they get attacked by some scabs. We were rehearsing it and the scab that was swinging a pipe and he had a PVC pipe. And I don't know what happened, whether I didn't get my arm out of the way or he swung too fast or too hard. I don't know. But he cracked me on the elbow and fractured my elbow. Um, it was a hairline fracture. And I, I didn't know it at the time. I was drenched in sweat and dealing with pain, and I was just about to meet Aaron for the first time as this Dublin job. And you're, I guarantee you, I was not going to say anything. And I and remember we we had these fights set up for the next two weeks. I remember showing up at work and just wrapping the hell out of my elbow, putting as much padding as I could on it, where I couldn't see it, and thinking, I'm I'm not blowing this job. I'm not going to lose this. Like, come hell or high water, I'm hitting that ground. I'm just going to have to protect my elbow. Um, So, for the first, like, I think four to six weeks, I, I was dealing with a fractured elbow. Uh, the, the story that Terry's talking about during the heist, there was, was there were two injuries that night. The first one, and Aaron flagged it too. He was always great about trying to protect me. Like we came in and these boxes had metal ridges and I get kicked back through them. And right before we're about to go, one of the camera guys says, hey, Jeff, when you go backwards, can you knock this box out of the way? It'd be really cool for the shot. And I said, yeah, sure. No problem. I went back and I smashed my hand on it and blood was everywhere. We call cut. I got off. as quickly as I could so I wasn't spraying blood on on myself or or on the the set. We bandaged bandaged it up, and I went, great, that's awesome, let's go again, we'll do the other side of it, and we'll do the kick. And the other stunt guy, he did, he missed my pad, and um, again, I found this out later. He he partially tore my right pectoral. So I had a torn muscle. I didn't know it at the time, but it, it did take the wind out of me and it, it, it threw me for a loop and I went backwards through the boxes. And I remember kind of just lying there and just kind of trying to catch my breath and trying to deal with the pain and thinking... I was really unhappy with the performance, too, because the, the, the way the kick works is I have to lean into the kick. He kicks me really hard, and then I kind of launch myself backwards, and I go airborne through these boxes. Because he kicked me too high, I couldn't throw myself backwards. Otherwise, I'd land on the back of my head, which meant I took the full force of the kick, leaning into it. before, And then I just staggered backwards and fell through the boxes so that we could get the shot and i remember Aaron standing over top of me and kind of giving me the side eye like oh my god dude are you okay and i i got to my feet and i do remember terry coming out and going oh yeah we got it we got it and i was furious that we weren't going to go again because i was not happy with that performance i knew we could do it better and i was like we got one more we can do it and terry was categorically no you're done go sit down and i mean god bless you terry for, for taking care of your team and saying thank you there are a lot of directors who who wouldn't do that wouldn't take that time yeah. it would be um, again and, and I, I i mean you I do not have
3: to thank me for that <laughs> i guarantee you i mean it, you were it's just yeah i will you know what i i will say the only time as a director where i where i felt the urge to speed up a stunt and i checked myself was when we were in um uh budapest and you weren't there jeff but when ran the 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 guys that jumped off the the bridge like it had just yeah. rained and stormed and that water was crazy and we needed to get yeah. the shot and you're like I need to get the shot but they might die so where am I at here as a because it's only the opening of, of season two but they could die so, uh, so let's not <laughs> do it but ultimately it calmed down enough for us to do it but like yeah you, you never have to think I mean like I mean, Jeff and Jen, I mean, like, they were just so good about that. I mean, I can't praise these guys. And they had, you know, the hardest thing is, you know, Jen had to deal with Amanda. And Amanda was a nightmare, a <laughs> diva of
1: hate. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, it's a okay. I didn't want to say she anything, but wow.
3: She doesn't listen. She doesn't listen to this <laughs> podcast, Jen, so we can just unload here. I mean, you know, that. That's not worth the, the the money right there.
1: It totally wasn't worth it. Yeah. Don't know why I stuck around so long, guys. <laughs> I need to email
0: this to her just
1: so you know. <laughs> I love you, Amanda. If like your dad. <laughs>
3: Let's see. Let's it. see if she finds it on her own. Let's see. It's a little Easter egg for Amanda. <laughs> for <the next. laughs> I'm gonna get an angry
2: text. Um, and just to piggy, just to piggyback on what uh, on what Terry was saying, just about kind of the danger of the thing. I just want to point out that sometimes some people are hired for a job. We're there in case something goes wrong. So I think one of the most dangerous things we did was Cole hanging out the car, driving. So we're driving. Down this narrow corridor in the Hearn, concrete on every side, and the shell casings all over the floor. And we got to drive towards Camera. Now, the general rule of thumb when we're doing any kind of driving sequence is that if something goes wrong, if there's a catastrophic failure with the car, like the brakes go or we blow a tire, we will dump the car away from the crew away from everybody there's a safe zone that we've designated beforehand so if something goes wrong we steer the car as best we can into that area and we just dump it in the Hearn, there's no such area it's concrete on either side and i'm in a harness and i'm strapped into the car hanging out the window with this machine gun and a ramsey his name is uh, josh madriga great stunt guy and, uh, and i say what's your plan man if we have a catastrophic failure if the tires blow which is just- concern in, in the hern because there's just garbage everywhere there's casings everywhere he says well i don't know i guess we're going to just put it plow it into the concrete pillar we have to make that choice to be able to keep the car away from crew and away from camera and away from cast to keep them safe mm-hmm. um th- the downside to that is not only do we wreck the car we wreck ourselves the upside is yeah. everyone else
3: is safe yeah we there's no there are no bags. bags there are no uh, uh trash bags in that that old piece of shit mm-hmm. that we're rushing uh-huh. through
4: I mean, we did want to ask just before you guys go, um, just because if if there's any fight in 12 Monkeys that was a long time coming, <laughs> it is that final culminating raw fight between Olivia and Cassie in the finale. Oh, yeah. And I'd and love – I mean, just because Terry, you know, obviously you directed it and Jen just choreographing it. You know, I mean – the you've got Olivia who has been this unbelievably intimidating physical presence on the show for, for four seasons. And then you've got Cassie who's like on her last emotional, you know, like it, it, I would just love to hear about how you all approached sort of the emotion of the scene and the physicality of the scene. And it's like a huge, you know, this is like, this is the long time coming fight um, of the show in the finale. You
3: know, again, this is this is where the value of having a stunt person that's not only engaged in the character and working closely with the main actor and is also a, also themselves a really good actor comes into play because those moves are, are for Amanda for Cassie are, are more wild. They're more desperate. They're more angry, right? So that the emotion has to come across in that sequence too. And then there's all other there's other things that 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 you know we're 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 queuing sparks and things to explode around them as they do it just to add to the intensity of the of the situation. But I mean that's just one of those scenarios where if you're lucky to have an amazing performer, it's gonna come across in in all those moves.
1: Yeah, and it was great too because I mean the writing is there. The writing for the fight. We know what we have to do. So you know, Brian and I trying to create it like like Terry said, I mean Cassie's just furious and she's enraged, and you know she's she's fighting from an emotional place, and she can't win fighting that way. And she's just getting Olivia Olivia's just a better fighter, and just poor Cassie just getting hammered into the ground and tossed around. And um, it was nice because I feel like Cassie wins a lot, so it was kind of interesting to to see the tables turn on her and then how she gets out of it in the end.
4: Yeah, well, it emotionally, it was very cathartic for us.
1: <laughs> it's fun it's fun angry fighting i love angry fighting it's just wild and animalistic and it's fun to to play that kind of lose control fight
4: yeah
2: there is one fight that i want to mention that that didn't it made the trail of the season four but it didn't make um it it got put in the editing room floor but it was one of my favorite fights when cassie and cole show up at markridge to get the virus before they go to the the air they get pushed by a couple of monkey men and it was a
3: fun i think it's fight. on the d i think it is on the DVD. that's on the blu-rays i think we we put it oh, on there
2: oh i have to get yeah. that um I yeah i haven't seen it but i i just wanted a moment it was really near the end we knew we were finishing up and it was the last time jenny and i were going to get to fight side by side and we've done it a number of times and we're standing in the hallway and we bust through these doors and then we get attacked and we do this fight And i remember standing there with jenny and i turned to her and i said you know it's been a real pleasure Saving the world with you repeatedly and it was it was a nice kind of. Mm. Oh, sorry that I never Aww. saw it. I'm looking forward to seeing it on the Blu-ray. Yeah. I remember
1: that. Yeah, that was nice. It was always fun when we got to fight together. That was always the most fun. <laughs> Although I didn't mind fighting you as well. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I usually used to beat you up. I always got to kick you and stuff. That was always good. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we were we were really, um, really thrilled to, to have both you on. Um, Terry, of course, it's always a delight having you on. But, you know, as audience members, when you start to sort of watch film and TV more closely and read about what you all put your bodies through and, you know, frankly wondering why you all your work isn't more sort of formally recognized, right? When we watch award shows and things like that, given how important it is to what we find exciting in film and TV, we were, we're really, really happy to bring you guys on and and hear about how you do your job so well and put your bodies on the line. So as audience members, thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much for having us. It, uh, it means a lot to be able to give a voice to the, the stunt department. We really appreciate your time and, and bringing us on here and this podcast, too. We're
0: fans of the show, too. It's awesome.
4: Ah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you guys are
0: awesome. Next up, a conversation about directing with Terry Metallis and director and producer David Grossman, who directed 16 episodes of 12 Monkeys. Thanks for listening. And until next time, we'll see you soon.